This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. In the squadron, they called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. A suggestion. If you happen to be gay, uh, don't take pride in that. Don't take any special pride in being gay. I know it's Pride Month. I say you should reject Pride Month. I do not take personally any pride in being straight. I don't think anybody... I mean, I was born that way. Why the hell would I think it's special, huh? I mean, that's how I came here. I'm, I didn't decide, you know? It just is etched in my brain, in my whatever. I don't know exactly the biochemistry involved, but I happen to be straight. Now, if you happen to be gay, do you think that's worth celebrating? I don't think so. Just like I'm not going to celebrate being straight, all right? But it is June 1st. The first day of Gay Pride Month, and oh boy, overboard, everybody's jumping on board. From the New York Yankees to the United States Marine Corps to Pfizer Pharmaceuticals, um, and maybe your boss, who knows, everyone's jumping in. Who Haven't we grown up? Isn't it? Like, who really cares at this point to take pride in it? Pride. You know, pride is actually... A bad thing. You're not supposed to take pride in this kind of stuff. You're not to t- pride pride in your accomplishments, in your contributions, in things you've developed and worked on, and maybe the accomplishments of other people. But to be so proud, am I proud that I have brown hair? Well, actually, I am pretty proud of my hair lately. I uh, <laughs> it does look pretty good, full of volume, and but uh, pride. Am I going to have a parade for my hair? No. But um, everyone, I think a lot of people agree with me, especially in corporate America, but they have to go along with it because, well, right up there with being accused of being a racist is being accused of being a homophobe. I'm not a homophobe. I don't even like saying the word homophobe, but by the way, I mean, I, I just don't like, I, I, I think it's funny. The word homosexuality has basically become uh, not PC anymore, right? But homophobe is still out there. Anyway, look, not a homophobic. I'm just saying that I think haven't we matured? No, we haven't matured. We're taking major steps backward. Major steps back. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for me to look at the United States Marine Corps, my beloved Corps. And watch them go 1,000% full-on, totally in, woke. Totally woke. And you know what? You can be woke, but you can't do, you can't focus on what you're supposed to be focusing on. You got to make a choice, really, especially a big organization. You know, when they get together and they decide to celebrate diversity, equity, and inclusion and beat it over your head. You know, I was in the military for a brief period of time. Well, I was in for nine years, but for a brief period of time, when I first went in, it was right in the aftermath of uh, Tailhook, a great big sexual harassment scandal, and we got so much training. 
It was actually very good training, but we got a lot of it. It was like, it seemed for a little while there, the entire mission of the military was to not sexually harass anybody as opposed to defeating the enemy. There was a time when our military had very clear cut objectives, rules, and uh, mission, a sense of mission. You want to hear Colin Powell, the late, great Colin Powell? Yeah, he went a little silly himself later in life. But when he was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff back in 1991 and they were kicking the Republican Guard out of Kuwait, well, this is how he talked back then, and I like it. Cut 36. Our strategy to go after this army is very, very simple. First, we're going to cut it off, and then we're going to kill it. All right. (laughs) Cut it off and then kill it? Well, that's kind of what you want from your uh, four-star generals, right? Of course it is. Now what do we get? Now what do we get? We get Mark Milley. We get Mark Milley. Oh, boy. He knows all about uh, critical race theory. He read up on it so he could spout it out in front of Kirsten Gillibrand and get all kinds of points. We got Mark Milley. First we have Colin Powell. Now we have Mark Milley. What does he sound like? Remember? This is the guy who helped lose the war, by the way. Cut 37. I want to understand white rage. And I'm white, and I want to understand it. Yeah, very beautiful. So uh, why don't you quit the military and go ahead and pursue whatever your heart's desire? Maybe you can march in the great gay pride parade. Well, actually, don't. I think you should follow my advice about the gay pride stuff. It's fine to be gay. It's fine to be straight. But to take pride in it, to dance around and say it it was there is a cartoon. Hey, do me a favor. See if you can get it from Saturday Night Live. It's not a cartoon. It's a sketch. And they had this character named Merv the Perv, and he was the straightest man in the universe, right? And he hit on all the ladies, and he did it in a pretty crude and, uh, you know, almost grotesque way. And he was a joke. He was like the -the over-the-top straight man. And it was silly, and it was mocked, and it was actually funny to watch. That's, I think, where we are now with um, LGBTQIA. Told you I was going to figure out what the I and the A stands for. I don't know. Oh, Joe Biden is very, very frustrated. So his poll numbers, as you know, are terrible. And he can't fathom why he's less popular than Donald Trump right now. He is. Poll numbers have him lower at this point in his presidency than Donald Trump was at this point in his presidency, right? And he can't get his mind around that. He's like, why, why, why don't the people like me? And he's yelling at staff. And there's rumors that there could be a major, major shakeup. And even the fake news they're starting to turn on him. They're getting aggressive. They sense they feel, there's blood in the water. Joe might have to resign after the midterms. The shellacking will be that bad. Who knows? And he can't take the job. But imagine that. He's actually said to be, I heard this, NBC News of all places did a pretty thorough report on Biden adrift in the White House. And he can't get his head around the idea that he's less popular than Donald Trump. Well, here are a couple of reasons, pal. Uh, number one, you lost a war. Number two, you lost the border. Um, inflation's out of control. You didn't fix a supply chain issue. And you call half the country racist. That's not a winning uh, formula, all right? You're not going to command the confidence of the American people. Like that, his failures are so obvious, except to him, by the way, except to, uh, except to Joe. Oh, Joe has a New York Times op-ed on the heels of his Wall Street Journal op-ed. Um, it's kind of, arguably it's beneath the president to write op-eds. 
You know, I mean, you're the president. You can walk out to the Rose Garden and say something and the entire world is going to respond, right? Uh, But no, when he walks out to the Rose Garden, you know, he says about six things wrong. It's got to be walked back, which is something else that's said to infuriate him. Why are you guys always correcting me? Well, you're always saying wrong stuff. We have to. But he's fired up about that. Now, Barack Obama did this, too. He wrote an op-ed, I think, for Newsweek magazine. It's done occasionally, but one in the Wall Street Journal on Monday, a second one in the New York Times on Tuesday. That's uh, that's a little weird. Now, I look back. I wanted to find out if Donald Trump had written any op-eds when he was president. I couldn't find one, but I did find an interesting one that he wrote before he was president all the way back in 1999. And it's a great uh, – column. He says, America needs a president like me. How about that for confidence, right? And a lot of the stuff in here he would make good on, but it's interesting. Not everything. Let's see here. All right. You ready for this? Again, he wrote this, uh, how many years? 18 years. 18 years before he would become president, he, he said that America could use a president like me. Let's cut to the chase. Yes, I am considering a run for president. The reason has nothing to do with vanity, as some have suggested, nor do I merely wish to block other candidates. I will only run if I am convinced I can win, a decision that I will make later this year. He didn't, of course. This is back in 1999. Two things are certain at this point, however. I believe non-politicians represent the wave of the future. And if elected, I would make the kind of president America needs in the new millennium. I would make the kind of president America needs in the new millennium. I love it. Unlike candidates from the two major parties, my candidacy would not represent an exercise in career advancement. Now, that's so true. And it was said, I think, by John Voigt during the 2016 convention. He said, Trump is not running for fame and fortune. He has all that. It's true. He already was famous. He already was rich. He didn't need it. Let me compare this to Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio, who one day is a city councilman in North Miami, next day he's a, what, assemblyman, something or other from uh, uh, up in Tallahassee, and then he gambles big and wins big, and he finds himself in the U.S. Senate, which really, by the way, is not such a big deal. One of 100 people, career politician, ambitious, ambitious, hungry, 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 going up, you know, someone's going to get elected to the Senate. Might as well be Marco. There he is. Marco Rubio, at the age of, how old was he anyway, 42 or something like that, thought he could be my president. Never served in the military, never made any money in business. But just because he's ambitious, you know, he's not a bad guy, but I'm sorry, pal, you're not. To be president of the United States, you need to have lived a lifetime of awe-inspiring achievement, in my opinion. You got to have something to offer, some world-class talent to offer. Rubio certainly didn't have that. Jeb Bush didn't have that. Who the hell else was running back then? I mean, Ted Cruz is a smart guy, but world-class talent? He might have a great brain, but, you know, what can he do for us? What can he do for you, for me? Just be a smart guy? How about a track record? And I know people poo-poo it, but building a building, that's that's, that's pretty impressive stuff. That's tangible, real-world stuff. If you want to get a bathtub installed in your house, most people get buried in the red tape. Building a new building at the corner of 57th and 5th, <laughs> that's, that's something.
It really is. And he was doing it and doing it and doing it. All right, back to his little story here. Let's see. Uh, I am not a political pro trying to top off his uh, – there's a it's, – it's not me. It's the story. It's like bleeped out for some reason. I am considering a run only because I am convinced the major parties have lost their way. The Republicans are captives of their right wing. Hmm, interesting. Huh? The Democrats are captives of their left wing. I don't hear anyone speaking for the working men and women in the center. After New York City spent $20 million, then he talks about the Woolman Rink. Remember when he did that? And Oh, why am I considering a presidential bid? Well, first, Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura has strongly encouraged me to seek the nomination, and I highly respect Jesse as the embodiment of the political qualities America needs and voters reward. Oh, man, he's so smart. He was studying. He's studying all of it. Knows the country better than anybody. Given the choice between yet another slate of stale political professionals and Jesse's common sense principles and straight talk, it was no contest. He has uh, convinced me that we need this combination in the White House. You see, this was years, years in the making. He says some nice things about Pat Buchanan, but says Pat Buchanan is always making a mess of things with his mouth. Uh, let's see. It took three days. Yeah, this is actually interesting. Um, the second reason I'm considering this is because of Pat Buchanan. He has the virtue of plain speaking, but he often says stupid things. The latest example being his comments questioning whether the U.S. was right to stop Hitler. His arguments are repugnant, yet they were initially met by deafening silence from the professional politicians. It's true. They have to see which way the wind is blowing before they make up their mind. It took three days for Elizabeth Dole and John McCain to react. This underscores the central problem with contemporary politicians. They are so concerned with winning votes that they cannot even find it in themselves to immediately denounce a man who winks at barbarism. So very interesting. But a couple of things going on here, Mr. President. All right. Now, some stuff you complain about. Like politicians who look at the polls all the time, sir, you started to do that yourself. Remember? Remember? All right. All that to say, you know I love Donald Trump. I love his style. I love his policies. I love him. I think he's a great guy. But, but, but he needs to think, and I hope he is, and I'm sure he is, but I'm not, I, I'm not convinced. Is he thinking about governing? He's got to think about what he's going to do, how he's going to do it. We know what he wants to do but the right people around him, not these swamp cats who tried to sabotage him. And by the way, guess what? There were people on his reelection team who did not want him reelected. They were working against him from within. It's time, right? Did I go over? Oh, shoot. All right. Uh, Give me a moment. I'll be right back. Greg Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. I think, America, we all need to lose some pounds. I've been watching the news a lot from a place. I don't want to name the place, but uh, uh, boy, oh, boy, Americans, we've gotten so big, so big, so fat, myself included, by the way. NJ Diet, here we come. Um, Yeah, what is it? What is it? I think part of it is, uh, well, you heard me go through it. We're sitting around watching those stupid movies and shows on and we get all of our emotional needs met by those dumb shows. 
and other things can be met on the Internet, if you know what I mean. I don't like it. We all, I ran today. I ran this morning. I think I am going to run every day for the next six months. I can feel it. I can feel it. They have clubs, by the way. You know, people who have run every day, um, you know, for seven years. What does it count as a run? 1.2 miles. If you if you run 1.2 miles or greater, you are a runner. You have gotten a run in. And uh, some people do that every single day for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I, uh, it's not going to be that long for me, but um, I got to do something. I think we all got to do something. Look down. Look down. I'm wearing a – it's getting too hot to wear these jackets to cover up the flab. I don't like doing that as much as uh, – oh, let's see here. Do me a favor. Mm, who likes Matt Damon? You like Matt Damon? Movies, sure, whatever. He was in some of the Mission Impossible movies, right? Wait, no, not Mission Impossible. What's that other silly... What's that character he plays in the... uh, Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne, the Bourne movies, right. And in every every movie, almost every scene this guy has acted in in the past 20 years, what does he have? A gun in his hand. He's shooting a gun, whether it's a big gun or a pistol, he's shooting... And often not hitting his targets. You ever notice that? I, nobody in the movies can can seem to aim. Well, the good guys usually hit the bad guys, but the bad guys can never hit the good guys. It's like there's a force field. Anyway, all that gunplay in the movies. Do you think that might have something to do with uh, with gun culture, especially reckless gun culture? I'm all for guns. I'm all for the NRA. I'm not for reckless gun handling and poor marksmanship. That's what Hollywood's all about. Same goes. Tr- same is true for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Every movie, he's got a gun, and every movie, people are shooting wildly and not hitting their targets. And of course, these guys are big time liberals. Uh, Matt Damon on politics, cut forty two. I love Joe Biden, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and especially now, particularly with our institutions under such attack. Yes, um, I, I think it would be a great signal to the world if we put somebody who is established and very stable and uh, very wise, <laughs> back in charge. Very weak. Very weak in charge. What's stable about Joe Biden? I was back in 2019, by the way. What's stable about him? He's always shooting out his, shooting off his mouth, and they got to roll back what Joe said. We're going to defend Taiwan no matter what. No, that's not true. Uh, how about a green light for uh, Russia to enter Ukraine? What about... Putin is not a war criminal. He is a war criminal. All that stuff. There's always getting things wrong, and that's not stable, and that's not wise. Here's another Hollywood idiot uh, pledging loyalty to Joe Biden forever, literally forever. Here's Arnold, cut 43. President-elect Biden, we stand with you today, tomorrow, and forever. Forever. In defense of our democracy from those who would threaten it. Yeah, those who were threatening it. That was all because of the January 6th people. Remember? Remember all the bashing that was done of the January 6th people? Talk about a false flag operation, huh? I'm going to I'm gonna show everybody again tonight the, the video of the cops just standing by, standing by. Hey, you know what Hollywood celebrity is pretty cool and understands it and gets it? Denzel Washington. Now, what's that... What's that movie, The Equalizer, where he's like this uh, James Bond kind of guy with a, he's just, oh boy, thought, well, plenty of gunplay in those movies as well, but he doesn't pretend to be a liberal. And boy, oh boy, is he skeptical about 
the media. Listen to this. Cut 44. If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. Hmm. Uh, so what do you do? That's a great question. <laughs> what is the long-term effect of too much information? One of the effects is the need to be first, not even to be true anymore. So what a responsibility you all have to be to tell the truth, not just to be first, but to tell the truth. We live in a society now where it's just first. Who cares? Get it out there. We don't care who it hurts. We don't care who we destroy. We don't care if it's true. Just say it. Sell it. Anything you practice, you'll get good at, including BS. You can tell he's a little bit angry when he's telling this reporter off. Um. I, I admire him a lot. He's a great performer. You know what else is kind of cool about Denzel Washington? He puts Hollywood in perspective. I've seen him do this, and it really rankles, uh, ruffles the feathers of other celebrities. He's like, "Hey, we're just we're just making make believe here. We're not we're not really providing much of anything." When you think about it, yeah, entertainment. But let's be real here. There are people in America, you know, from all walks of life: sanitation workers, cops, accountants, people who make a real difference. In people's lives. When's the last time a movie, a movie has changed your life? Now, I enjoyed Top Gun, by the way, but it didn't change my life. I guess it could change somebody's life. Some kid might join the military. Be careful joining the military. It's gone all woke and weird. It really has. The Marine Corps. The Marine Corps. Today on Twitter, going all all in with Pride Month. I already addressed that. Give me a second. I'll be back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You ever notice how on the news they're always bragging about we have a one-on-one interview with so-and-so. A one-on-one interview, and they put it on the screen. One-on-one with uh, Senator Blumenthal. One-on-one with the mayor of who's up there? Buffalo. One-on-one. How else are you going to talk to the guy? One-on-one. You're going to have a press conference on TV? Although they used to do that, by the way. Meet the Press used to be a bunch of reporters asking one guest questions. Um, even the, even that fake news uh, show's name is wrong. Meet the Press. It's Meet... What is his name? What is that guy? Chuck Todd. One guy. Meet that guy with his goatee. Who, by the way, is a landlord to Democrat senators. He is. That guy, Amy Klobuchar, Democrat senator from Minnesota was his tenant. He actually owned a house, and she lived there and paid him rent, and she gets interviewed by him. He moderates debates in which she participates, and uh, they didn't tell anybody about that. Isn't that um, uh, unethical? I think that's pretty weird. I think that's... Uh, that's. Hey, by the way, we're going to have Dinesh D'Souza on later. Dinesh D'Souza, uh, world-famous conservative American filmmaker... He did the movie 2,000 Mules. Have you seen it? I highly recommend it. Go to 2,000mules.com. There are a lot of different ways you can see it. Um, I thought it was incredibly impressive. And there were all kinds of problems with the November 2020 election. 
And we want the answers. And I think a lot of the answers are in this movie. And Dinesh D'Souza deserves a lot of credit. Um, 2,000 Mules. Wow. 2,000mules.com. Dinesh D'Souza will be with us uh, later in the show. And I'm thrilled that he's um, joining us. You know, there's been some apprehension from some folks to even talk about that movie. I don't understand it. It's, It's Number one, it's like, you know, not only do I not understand it, I resent it. You know, this is America. Somebody's putting out a point of view, and we're going to stifle that. We're going to censor that. We're going to say, you can't talk about that. You can't post about it on social media. You can't do this. You can't do that. What the hell kind of country do you think this is? Somebody writes a book. We're not going to be able to talk about it. A movie. Can't say certain things about transgenderism or anything. They start playing games like this. They'll play games, and they are with all kinds of other things. Oh, speaking of transgenders, I now think it's my patriotic duty to make fun of certain transgender people. And I do, with great relish. Like Leah Thomas, you know, the cheater from the University of Pennsylvania, the uh, the girl who used to be a boy but is essentially still a boy and won all the swim meets and beat all the girls because she's a man and better at, uh, well, has greater lung capacity, greater upper body strength, greater everything in terms of athleticism, yet calls herself the female champion. Look, have a transgender league, all right? Have a transgender division. That will solve the problem. But they don't want to do that. They want to pretend that this is a woman. Well, it's not. All right? It's not. Period. You can say it's transgender, and you can have a discussion about what that is. It's not one that I find particularly interesting. So what is she saying out there? She is uh, happy, and that's why she... Yeah, she's happy, and that's why she's performing very well in the pool. has nothing to do with all the advantages she has. Do we have Leah Thomas talking to... uh, Talking to Good Morning America. Oh, we didn't do that yesterday. She said that, uh, yeah, she said that to Good Morning America. Hey, I put up online, by the way, because we finally saw Leah Thomas take off her bathing cap. (laughs) She looks just like Kenny G. You know, Kenny G with, what is that? It's not quite a clarinet, excuse me, and it's not quite a saxophone. Whatever it is, he's very, very good at it. He's been doing it for, what, 40 years. And Kenny G worked very, very hard at music. And we love his music. Not everybody, but I do. Some of it. Songbird was really hot when I was a kid. Anyway, uh, I don't like it. I don't like people who cut corners and expect attention, maximum attention, maximum reward for zero effort or minimal effort. And here, uh, you know, let's face it, a pretty average swimmer. I mean, this is not an Olympian swimmer or anything like that. This is a, this is an average person in the pool. Hey, speaking of uh, people who take excessive pride in things they're not really responsible for, remember I was talking about Merv the Perv? <laughs> Merv the Perv was a Saturday Night Live character played by Chris Parnell, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, and um, he was just like this over-the-top straight guy. And he would say the most outlandish, crude things to uh, people at the office or whatever. They had little little skits. And I think we got some of them, right? All right, Merv the Perv, what happened? Well, well, well. Looky here. All these skirts and me with only one wiener. 
How we doing, ladies? The name's Mervyn Watson, but you can call me Merv the Perv, or just call me the Perv, or just call me, as in any time. <sighs> <laughs> you see? I mean, that's ridiculous, right? Straight men don't act like that. Not supposed to. And if they do, they'd be called a pig, or they'd be called a perv. But I see uh, in certain, you get a lot of latitude, however, if your orientation is uh, different from heterosexual. You do. You get a lot of encouragement, and you're embraced. And for the first time in history, it seems like if you happen to be heterosexual, you, hey, I'm not looking for an advantage, but I don't want to be at a disadvantage. I don't want to be made to feel unwelcome. And I know people who were gay were made to feel unwelcome for a long time, and that was wrong. But this is wrong, too. And it's wrong to put the gay pride flag, transgender, this, that, and the other thing on the Park Avenue church. Yeah, Park Avenue, Park Avenue and 64th Street. What the hell are you doing with the gay pride flag outside? What the hell does that have to do with gay sex? You tell me. Huh? You trying to, what, curry favor with this stupid mob? All right, I don't want to get angry. Let's hear one more take from Merv the Perv. I think you're in the wrong place, Merv. Hmm, maybe it's time to get in the right place, i.e. your pants. <laughs> you do realize you're in a gynecologist's office? Gynecologist's office? Hey, that's what it says on the side of my van. Now, which one of you tasty chicks needs a ride to my place down by the quarry? <laughs> the quarry? What was that all about? We, I think we have one more. One more. Get out of here, you creep. Actually, I'm a perv. Merv the perv. In the flesh. And if you play your cards right, in your flesh. You're a pig. That's right. Try me. Merv the other white meat. Oink, oink. <laughs> Look, we are not interested. Don't you get it? Why did they get rid of that skit? <laughs> I thought that was pretty. It's pretty good stuff. Uh, what's our number here? 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Andrew is on the phone from New Jersey. Time to check in. Hello. Hey, how's it going? <clears throat> Denzel, when he made that quote about the press, he was being asked about did he endorse Donald Trump. That was why he was responding. And he said he simply said that Donald Trump – Candidate Trump has created more jobs as a private citizen than all the previous presidents combined, and that was a good thing. So they said, oh, you endorsed Trump. So even Denzel, he just said what you said, that Trump made those accomplishments. He, he created all these jobs. And to uh, segue to your comment, right in New York City, the uh, ice skating rink in Central Park, the politicians who never had a job, never had to meet a payroll. They And I liked Mayor Koch, but he said it was going to take over t 10 years to make the outdoor rink and it was going to cost back then like over $10 million. And Trump was like, wait a minute, like it's just a slab of ice, you know, outside with a little snack bar and a, a restroom and some plastic, you know, seating. Yeah. Like why is it going to cost $10 million to take 10 years? So they challenged Trump and Trump did it for under. Under a million. I did it for 1.4 million, 1.4 million. And you're right about Koch. Koch hated Trump. And Trump gave Koch a really hard time as well. 
but that Wallman rink. That hey, by the way, that's interesting about uh, Denzel Washington. Let's listen to that again. Yeah, now I understand because he doesn't want to say who he endorsed. You know, he wants everybody to go see his movie, and I think the movie at the time he was promoting might have been Fences. And uh, here you can tell he's getting a little bit peeved, but he's right. He's absolutely right. Cut 44, please. If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. Hmm. Uh, What do you do? That's a great question. (laughs) What is the long-term effect of too much information? One of the effects is the need to be first, not even to be true anymore. So what a responsibility you all have to to tell the truth, not just to be first. But to tell the truth, we live in a society now where it's just first. Who cares? Get it out there. We don't care who it hurts. We don't care who we destroy. We don't care if it's true. Just say it. Sell it. Anything you practice, you'll get good at, Inclu- including BS. No, oh, good for you, Denzel. Good for you. Hey, by the way, I got to say this. Now that Sussman has been found not guilty, even though, uh, well... Not guilty of what? Lying to the FBI? Interesting piece today in the New York Post by Andrew McCarthy. He said they may probably made a mistake trying to make the FBI look like the victim when the FBI was in on the crime. The FBI, they were smart enough to know that this Michael Sussman character worked for Hillary Clinton. They knew who he was, what he was, where he came from, and that he wasn't doing this as a private citizen who did some Internet research in his basement. This is a hired gun by a campaign, the Hillary Clinton campaign. And he goes in there with information, fake information about Trump and the Trump campaign and the Trump organization and even the White House colluding, colluding with Russia. It was all fake. But the FBI, they went along with it. They went along with it. Why? They were, well, they were out to do a couple of things. Number one, destroy a candidate, candidate Trump. And then they wanted to destroy a presidency, President Trump. And they almost got away with it. Well, nobody's been held accountable, I guess. I mean, no one's gone to jail. They're not, you know, I guess if one person got fired. Didn't Peter Strzok, Strzok get fired? Oh, Peter Strzok, who was hooking up with FBI lawyer Lisa Page. And Lisa Page's lawyer was married to the judge in the Sussman case. All right, here's what it all means. The FBI needs to go away. Sorry, I am done, totally done with the FBI. FBI, those initials used to conjure... Images of you know great men fighting crime, men and women, the highest ideals of America. But that's all nostalgia. That's all yesteryear crap. It's not the case anymore. It's just a bunch of bureaucrats out to preserve and protect. Not you, not me, but the organization. That's what bureaucrats do. It is so over, FBI. You tried to sabotage a campaign and a presidency. And, oh, by the way, the FBI, quite frankly, is always missing. Hey, I love America. I love our government. I love our Constitution, I should say. I love our Constitution. I don't know. I'm not crazy about the government at all, especially as they so willingly undermine the Constitution to hurt Trump, both as president and a candidate. They broke all kinds of rules, and I believe laws. And they're always missing stuff. Throughout their history, the FBI has been late. They miss stuff. JFK assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald. I believe Lee Harvey Oswald did it, did it by himself, by the way. I know a lot of you disagree, but I've looked at that. I've looked very closely. Anyway, the FBI had Lee Harvey Oswald's name, and some FBI agent was supposed to talk to him. But guess what? He never got around to it. He was on my list. 
I was going to do it sometime next week. Yeah, well, that was too late. Literally, the, the, you can look this up. The FBI agent who failed wrote a book about it. His name is Hosty. H-O-S-T-Y. This happens throughout their history. They always look at something, and then they end. Eh, there's nothing wrong here. And then the next week, something really bad happens. I think we got to get rid of it. Fed, here's the problem. Bureau. Federal Bureau of Investigation. Bureau. Bureaucrats. Swamp. Here's what you do. You... Um, you send all those agents to work for the U.S. attorneys. They already have investigators, the U.S. attorneys. They'll just get some more, and they'll be under the umbrella of the U.S. attorneys. But the name FBI has been tarnished. And here's something to do, by the way, if the FBI shows up and has some questions for you. Ask for some identification. And then when they hand you the identification, write it down. Write everything down. Write it all down. You know, they're, they're the, oh, we're the FBI. Oh, sir, yes, sir. I, I don't know. I'm sorry, but James Comey ruined it for you guys. James Comey, who would do anything to protect the Bureau, destroyed, destroyed the Bureau. You know? It's true. Uh, let's see here. One more call. Uh, Paul in Westchester. Yes. Good afternoon. Um, as I told uh, the screener, I'm a little upset. I've been listening to you for 45 minutes. And my question is, how many gay or transgender people in the recent or distant past have been responsible for perpetrating any of these mass shootings? I well, quite a few, actually. Quite... Wait, 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 wait. Paul, this is uh, my show, and I can kind of write down the agenda as I see fit talking about Uvalde quite a bit. Now, your your question is a peculiar one. You want to know what transgenders have been involved in similar crimes. Is that right? Well, you seem to be focused on... Well, Paul, let me tell you about transgenders, number one. Number one, the number one bank robbery of the 20th century, possibly the most important one and significant one in law enforcement history because it changed a lot of things, was the uh, robbery of the Chase Manhattan Bank on Avenue P in Brooklyn in 1972. You know this one? Uh, a guy named John Vodovich, a gay former soldier, robbed a bank to raise funds to pay for the trans uh, transitioning surgery, the sex change, by his wife. He married a man. Illegally, by the way, but married a man. So why is that case important? Well, it be, later became Dog Day Afternoon. The movie with Al Pacino, Attica, Attica, and all that stuff. And because the police response was so inept, and they really screwed that thing up, um, they decided they needed specialized units, SWAT teams, an emergency service unit, hostage negotiators. They just had some detective doing it. They needed very skilled people. That was very, very, a very important case, a landmark case. By the way, we had a transgender serial murderer. Just arrested in Brooklyn, um, the other, uh, what was that, Marcellin? Marcellin is his name, her name, whatever. That happened in April. We believe he's killed now three women. He's 80 years old, been killing women since the 1960s. But um, I hate to say this, regarding the mass killing in, in Uvalde, you know, what else can you say? But, Paul, I'll, I'll, I'll give you another chance to say whatever the hell you want. All right. First of all, you discussed uh, inept police response in the uh, Chase bank robbery. 
Uh, there's a common thread with the recent Texas massacre. Paul, I, I, I know, Paul, I'm getting the sense. I get, I get the sense that you're kind of angry at everything, including me. But I appreciate that you've been listening and getting madder and madder over the last 45 minutes. That's fantastic. I got to go now. Uh, oh, I really do have to go now. Uh, oh, one more thing. Dinesh D'Souza will be on. Uh, what time is he going to be here? 2.40. Shoot. Anyway, looking forward to having him on. 2,000 Mules is a very important movie. He made it. He created it. It's about, uh, well, the election of 2020 and all the weirdness that happened. Be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Isn't it fun that Joe Biden can go out in public, go out in public, get questions from the media almost every day? He gets more questions than you might think. And not be asked about Hunter Biden and not be asked about his brother and not be asked about Ukraine and not be asked about all the money that the Biden family. No, none of it comes up. They're only asking him questions that happened in the previous two minutes. Uh, Here's an example. He's uh, just uh, yesterday, day before, he's uh, by the helicopter and you can hear what they're asking him. One question after the next about minor just stuff that just blows away in the wind. Nothing important. Cut 53. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. What do they ask? Are you more motivated now to get anything done about guns? Will Republicans change their approach about guns? Will you send uh, more weapons to Ukraine? Um, The laptop. (laughs) Hey, by the way, did you see this? Hunter sent Joe pornography. Hunter sent Joe pornography. Uh, Texted him a link to um, a Pornhub video. Hmm. This is according to the UK Daily Mail. I would like to think that that was by accident. Wouldn't you? I mean, what would a father be sharing that stuff with a with a son for? I don't know. Let's go to Mary Beth for a moment in Long Island. Yes, hello. I am a very sick individual. I apologize to um, the caller who was so upset by you because he'll be offended by me, let me tell you. I think you are the funniest person alive, and I think we need to laugh more the way you had me laughing. Um, you know, if if we can't laugh at the ineptitude of this administration, we'd be crying every single minute of every single day. I mean, you're pointing things out that are humorous. That's what Saturday Night Live used to do. Um, They have a perfect candidate here in Biden that they could be making fun of him up the kazoo. But that's not going to happen because we're on the wrong track, Greg. How are we going to get back on the right track? Mm. Well, listen, um, I'm glad you're amused by me. I will tell you this. A psychiatrist. Yes, I saw a psychiatrist for a little while. And he said at one point, I was like, I had this problem, I had that problem, and I was getting shut down here, I was getting shut down there. And he said, well, you know what? You're going to have to make your own fun. And I can't remember exactly what he was getting at, but that stayed with me. you got to make your own fun. 
You know, everybody else can be uptight. Everybody else can have a problem. That doesn't mean you or me, Mary Beth, have got to walk around with a problem and be uptight all the time. You know? So uh, this stuff is uh, obvious. I'm not going to look away. It's there. Um, you're right. SNL used to be fantastic. And, uh, hey, you want to hear one more Merv the Perv? I think this is a – do you remember Merv the Perv, Mary Beth? Not as well as you, Chad. Yeah, I, <laughs> apparently I, I know – I remember him too well. I got funny looks when I played that clip. Ah, maybe we'll just uh, put those uh, aside for now. Mary Beth, thank you. Real quick, where on Long Island are you? I'm in Northport. And can I say one other thing, if you don't mind? Very quickly. The music's playing. Go ahead. Okay. When I saw that picture of Leah Thomas, I went, oh, he, she looks like someone. You're right. Kenny G. Kenny Absolutely. G. Kenny G. No disrespect to Kenny G, but it's, it's, it's very obvious. Thank you, Mary Beth. I'll be back soon. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Kenny G, everybody. Theme from Titanic, right? Anyway, Kenny G's on our mind because, uh, we finally got a look at that trans swimmer, Leah Thompson, Thomas, and uh, looks just like Kenny G without the bathing cap on. Very much similar. However, Kenny G, unlike Leah Thomas, did not cheat at music to get better at music, just did it through hard work and talent, and uh, now is one of the greatest recording artists of all time. Yeah, believe it or not, he is. He's a lot of people, especially in Asia, very, very popular in Asia. Uh, whereas Leah Thomas just uh, mm, got an operation, although, quite frankly, I don't think it was much of an operation. I very, I'm sorry, but I, <laughs> it just looked like a guy with long hair, hence the Kenny G comparison. I don't think there was much of an operation. Uh, could be wrong. I don't want to find out. Hey, we're going to have the Johnny Depp Amber Heard verdict later. What the hell are they angry at each other about for? guess they were married, and they got divorced, acrimonious uh, marriage and divorce. And a few years later, right in the middle of Me Too, Amber Heard writes an article for the Washington Post, an op-ed, saying that she is an abused woman sexually, physically, all kinds of things. And uh, I don't think she named Johnny Depp, you know, didn't say his name or didn't write his name, but everybody knew who she was talking about, and it was Johnny Depp. And he said his career took a big hit as a result and he's suing her for $50 million. She is countersuing him for $100 million. I've been paying not much attention to it, but the general sense is that Amber Heard was a disaster on the witness stand, possibly because she was taking in all that cocaine. Did you see it? I mean, whatever the hell she was doing, it sure looked like cocaine to me, snorting coke on the witness stand. Uh, she contradicted herself. She was all over the place. I met her once. Strange bird. Very strange. She was promoting the movie Rum Diaries that she did with Johnny Depp. And um, 
Uh, whatever. I I can't say anything else. I just uh, I hope justice prevails. I'm rooting for Johnny. Okay. Uh, and then uh, I'm not rooting for Michael Sussman. He's feeling very, very confident, although you shouldn't, pal. You got away with it. But I think the FBI, well, the FBI's got to go. You heard me just say that. Michael Sussman is walking around a free man. He should be in the joint. You know who else should be in the joint? Well, if you can't get Joe Biden, I think you should be in the joint just for this. This is Frank Biden, Joe's little brother. And listen to this. He works for a law firm in Florida. A law firm. He's not a lawyer. He's not a paralegal either. I mean, I know there are people who work for law firms who are not lawyers, but this guy, he's actually in the law firm's commercial. And here it is for the Berman Law Firm. The voice you're about to hear is Frank Biden. He introduces himself. Joe Biden's little brother, as seen on TV. Cut 52. I'm Frank Biden. I'm the non-attorney senior advisor to clients statewide who need diversified business solutions through the Berman Law Group. I'm available for consultation with attorney Teddy Berman in any of our offices statewide. Just the strangest thing ever, although it's smart on the Berman Law Firm's part to put a lawyer with him so Frank doesn't (laughs) break the law as he meets with all these potential clients. Yeah, these uh, these Bidens are bad news. Now, they asked James Biden. James Biden called into the Washington Post and he said, what do I do? I provide for my family in an ethical way. That's what he does for a living. He provides and protects his family in an ethical way. Isn't that what anybody kind of does? A very strange way to put it. Very strange. And actually, when it comes to ethics, he's very, very, you know, he's emphatic about those ethics. You got to follow those ethics because... What do you need? What do you need? What do they call it? Plausible deniability. Here's Tony Bobolinsky, who unfortunately did business with the Bidens and knows what a bunch of, excuse me, dirtbags they are. Um, cut 51. I remember looking at Jim Biden and saying, how are you guys getting away with this? Like, aren't you concerned? And he sort of he looked at me and he laughed a little bit and said, uh, plausible deniability. He said that out loud? Uh, yes, he said it directly to me, one-on-one in a cabana at the Peninsula Hotel after about a, you know hour-and-a-half, two-hour meeting, with me asking out of concern, how are you guys doing this? Aren't you concerned that you're going to put your brother's you know, future presidential campaign at risk? Um, you know, The Chinese, the stuff that you guys have been doing already in 2015 and 2016 around the world. And uh, I just can almost picture his face where he sort of chuckles and says, you know, plausible deniability. Wow. I like the part where uh, Tucker says he actually said this to you and. And Tony Popolinski says, uh, yes. <laughs> Just something about that. Uh, yes, he did. Um, and yes, he did. And yes, he did. So they went for it. And Joe Biden's president, I have a feeling they are scared, you know whatless, because the swamp is about finished with Joe. And here's my big clue. NBC got together and did a big, big all-in special, 25 reporters, Joe Biden adrift and they report, you know, details about, oh, the staff is about to be fired. Uh, Joe Biden is uh, mad as hell at everybody. Can't believe he's less popular than than Donald Trump. Now, polls always had Trump artificially low. These have him, Joe Biden, artificially high. Okay, And Joe, you know, look, when you lose a war, when you 
basically open our borders. And when you go around saying uh, half the country is racist, does this ring a bell? Uh, does you, 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 This is not a winning formula, okay? Cut 49. And now, a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism that we must confront and we will defeat. And we won't ignore what our intelligence agency have determined to be the most lethal terrorist threat to the homeland today. White supremacy is terrorism. We're confronting the stains of what remains the deep stain in the soul of the nation. Hate and white supremacy. The most disturbing all that. Yeah, it's all BS, by the way. White supremacy. Give me a break. I hate white supremacy, but it's just it's a phantom. It's a ghost. There are four guys in West Virginia. Okay, a couple of nut jobs out there. That's it. And when they break the law, get them. But did you hear what he said? Our intelligence agencies say it's the number one threat. And some of them, I believe, actually have. You know why? Because they know what their political masters want. It's just like Dick Cheney and George W. Bush. What did they want there to be? Weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. So guess what? What did the intel agencies find? Weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. It's funny how that works. You may have seen it in your job. You know, the boss wants something. The boss gets something. The boss doesn't want to hear that. The boss doesn't hear that. Doesn't happen here, by the way. Our boss wants to know everything and everything. You know, that, 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 I'm not talking about any present employer, uh, but it's true. That's the way the world works. And it's a bit of an eye-opener, isn't it? Hmm? Uh, ooh, did you see this? A, a reporter in Chicago, happens to be Asian, by the way, speaking of anti-Asian violence, is threatened on air by a guy with a gun. You, We've all seen those reporters on TV. They're on the street. She's doing a story about gun violence in Chicago, which I guess they do every single day. And a guy comes by and waves a gun. Points the gun at the crew. Cut 50. Here's the anchor talking about the whole thing. Cut 50. Around 7 o'clock this morning at the corner of Clark and Hubbard, while our reporter was in the middle of a live report about gun violence in Chicago, a man walked up and pointed what appeared to be a firearm at our crew. Right now, police are calling this man a person of interest, accused of aggravated assault with a firearm. If you have any information regarding who he is or where he is, please contact Chicago police. How about that? I've seen all kinds of things during live shots. I've seen people get baba buoy. <laughs> you know, baba buoy, baba buoy. Hey, whatever happened to that? That's not as big a thing as it used to be, right? It used to be a bigger thing. Uh, baba buoy, baba buoy. I'm not saying the How- Howard Stern and Gary Delabate are still big, but they don't have people... Or have I missed it? I love it. I love it when it happens. Baba Booey. I once Baba Booey'd Gary Delabate. Uh, I Baba Booey'd him. <laughs> I actually came up and did it while he was on TV. I'm very proud of that. He was with John Heim. It was a great moment uh, in my broadcasting background. Um, hey, wasn't Trump right when he said this? And it, he said it the day he declared for president in 2015, and it still applies. For a little while, for one brief shining moment, we were winning but we're right back to where we started from. Cut 38. Our country is in serious trouble. We don't have victories anymore. We used to have victories, but we don't have them. It's true. And man, oh man, is the, are the conditions set for a Trump comeback or what? We don't have any victories. I mentioned the border, mentioned the Afghanistan catastrophe. How about Uvalde? How, what the hell happened there? And those cops, 
What in the hell were they thinking? What could have happened? This is beyond the cops. This is a psychosis of America. Something is wrong. And those parents pleading with the cops, help us, help us, help us. I found another video, actually, uh, from another angle, other side of the school, where parents were begging the cops to do something. And you know what? I understand the cops have got to keep out, you know, onlookers and that kind of thing. you got to secure them. they got to protect them. But the parents were right. There was a gunman in that school with children for about an hour, and nothing happened? Here are the parents. They're desperate, understandably so. Cut 39. Look at that shit, bro. They're all in there. The cops ain't doing shit but standing outside all the kids are inside the school and they're f-ing, they're just standing the f-ing parts. oh my god and all the parents are gonna go in they they yeah, like our kids are there man my son's right through man y'all can't be like that man y'all can't be like that when there's people yes i do get across the street because i'm having to deal with you get across the street get across the street we're gonna back up are you gonna walk into that gate and get them you know that they're kids right they're little kids they don't know how to defend themselves Six-year-old kids in there. They don't know how to defend themselves from a shooter. Yeah. Little six-year-old kids. And then this uh, Texas Department of Public Safety information officer, a spin doctor, tries to uh, set the record straight. Now, what do the American people have to understand that they don't understand now? What do you say there, trooper? Cut 40. The active shooter situation, you want to stop the killing, you want to preserve life. But also, one thing that, of course, the American people need to understand is that officers are making entry into this building. Uh, they do not know where the gunman is. Uh, they are hearing gunshots. They are, they are receiving gunshots. At that point, if they, if they proceeded any further, not knowing where this suspect was at, um, they could have been shot. They could have been killed. Ooh, sorry. Um, but, yeah. That's why they're heroes, right? Because they face danger. But these guys were not heroes. They, <laughs> well, we need to know more. But that guy is like, well, they could have been shot. So that there's your answer. They didn't go in because they could have been shot. I know we don't pay cops enough, but that's why they get paid. <laughs> you incur risk. It's a risky job. Uh-huh. If these cops aren't disciplined, I hope a lot of them think about quitting. Be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, I've been crazy about this Top Gun movie. Uh, Did you hear about the popcorn shortage and they're going to run out of popcorn? I did not. I was very enthusiastic about the movie and the whole movie-going experience. I even took a picture of the popcorn before I ate it. (laughs) And then I ate the stuff. And it was weird, kind of cold, stale, and I threw it out. I threw the whole bucket out. I forgot how much it cost me. I mean, I bought a few other things, too. I remember the whole damn kit and caboodle from the the soda, the popcorn, and the one or two other things. I got $27. It was more than the movie. It stunk. Speaking of the movie, uh, the movie was good. Cut 34, if you don't mind. Just want to manage expectations. This is your captain speaking. And we're off. 
Anyway, cool movie. You can't see it, obviously, but that's the trailer. Great, great stuff. Hey, got to get ready for Dinesh D'Souza. He'll be here soon. So I will take a call from Annie in Trumbull, Connecticut. Hi. Hi there. Um, I just wanted to say that I think what's happening today in talk shows on the left and on the right is that the people that are the main event of the shows are drawing in people that think just like them. And unfortunately, it's not really sharing information. Annie, what do you do? I'm a homemaker. You're a homemaker. I'm a homemaker. Well, I mean, Annie, listen. um, Information is everywhere. Listen, look, I know what I'm doing. I'll I'll do it. If if this is not not your... If this is not your cup of tea, that's fine. Uh, you know, but uh, I, I, they handed me a note here. You want to say something about Pride, Pride yeah. Month. So have at yeah. it. What do you got to say about that? Okay. Well, this is what I'm talking about, where we do agree. Okay? So you may not agree in Pride Month. I happen to feel that there's a certain group of people that have been discriminated against and hiding in the closet, and that's why they're being you know, told, don't be ashamed of who you are. They can't help it, okay? So let's just accept and not discriminate. And then the other part is, I agree Wait, hold on. You. you think it's been, has it, you agree, has it gone a little bit over the top, though? I mean, well, it's like think, excessive pride, maybe excessive pride. Yeah. Um, I, I think that when things get out of hand or, or overdue, the responses are larger than life as well. So when things are suppressed for a long time, it comes out big, but the, so you don't. You're not interested in Pride Month. That's fine, um, but I don't think that we have to have hatred towards anyone. And uh, I Annie, was- Annie, I no one hate, hates anybody here, and I I do not like Pride Month. You'll notice if you look back, you can listen. It said nothing dis- about gay people or anything. I take no pride in being heterosexual. I don't hate heterosexual people. I love everybody, quite frankly. I love all of God's creatures. We're all here for a reason. I don't necessarily like everybody, Annie. Uh, and that's my prerogative. I noticed you didn't say Greg. Let me ask you something, Annie. Do you listen to the show a lot or no? No. I, I had really a feeling. Have... I had a feeling. You're a drive-by. That's okay. No, what, do you, but, what do you normally like to listen? But, I, but, but I you, don't, you, don't listen to, you don't listen to the show but you called in to say you don't like the show. You should give no, the show no, a chance. I didn't say that. I said that what I'm noticing is that you're that the left and right are both mouthpieces of one point of view. Now I agree with you. There's nobody. There's nobody. Media. There's nobody like me in media. All right. I'm not anybody's mouthpiece. All right, Annie. I think you're oh. painting with a pretty broad brush. I okay, do. But so do, I me do me a favor. Do me a favor. Do me a favor. Tell me what? something about being a homemaker. Tell me anything. Tell me. Tell me something about it. Tell me something you like. Being a homemaker, we're concerned about the world that our kids are raised in. Hey, everybody is. Tell me something about being a homemaker, all right? That's not unique to being a homemaker. Well, being a homemaker is a privilege, and it's, it's a privilege of the utmost honorable way that we can afford to have someone in the household stay home and raise our children because not everyone has that. I tell you and what, that's beautiful. Sense. That is beautiful. And that was my dream. I wanted to talk about. I wanted to tell you no, that. I don't care, Annie. This is my show. And Annie, I have to wrap up with this. I okay. so agree with what you just said about homemaking. In fact, but when I was a kid, when I was a Annie, do me a favor. I'm going to turn your volume down because I have to. you have to listen to this. Nobody can hear you now. But I think what you just said, I think that is a privilege and it's a privilege that I actually wanted to give my wife 
even before I met her, that she would have the option. And I guess she does have the option. She works, but she's at home a lot with the kids. And I think that's appropriate. I think that's natural. I think that's what's supposed to happen. Annie, I appreciate that you tuned in this once. I hope you come back. And I will take your call, uh, probably. All right, what's our status? We got to get ready. We got to get ready for Dinesh. Dinesh will be here. Dinesh D'Souza is a world class genius, and also, quite frankly, a victim, a victim. So Dinesh D'Souza, off the charts smart. I think he went to Dartmouth. I don't know where he did his graduate work, but he's been an outspoken conservative for a long time. Um. I don't think he made a mistake, but he made a lot of enemies when he did that pretty nasty movie about Barack Obama. Well, it was fact-driven, so I can't necessarily say it was um, uh, nasty. And, you know, Barack Obama has a half-brother. He has a bunch of half-brothers, I think, not at least one who still lives in Africa. And this guy is a world-class scammer, okay? Barack Obama has a half-brother who was ripping off people all over the world. And Dinesh D'Souza went and sat down with him a couple of years back, and it was very revealing. I thought it was great theater. And he raised a lot of uh, interesting questions about Barack Obama. Now he's raising some necessary questions, and he's even answering them in 2,000 Mules. 2,000 Mules, the movie, I highly recommend it. Uh, It's your responsibility and mine. Well, I've already seen it, so... Uh, I fulfilled my responsibility. Now you got to fulfill yours. Stick around. Dinesh D'Souza is here in a moment. Before we go, Pam is on the phone in Orange County. Hello, Pam. Hi, Greg. I want to thank you for always being so honest and um, humble. You're, you're a great person, and I never miss you on Newsmax. And I can't understand why people watch Fox because they leave out so much about the Sussman case that was married by uh, Garland and uh, about how all the Democrats voted. And they just leave out all the facts. I mean, they're so in the tank. I don't know why anybody watches. uh, uh, Music to my ears, Pam. You're so kind. Uh, What are you near? What are you? Are you are you on the highway? You get back on the highway. Oh, God, be careful. Be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, 2,000 Mules is a fantastic documentary about all the weird stuff that happened in the November 2020 election that gave us Joe Biden. Yeah, right. Uh, It was made by the world-class brainiac Dinesh D'Souza, a very influential conservative. Did you know he worked actually for Ronald Reagan? He was in the Reagan White House. And anyway, he's written so much and produced so much, and we're so glad that he's with us right now on the phone. Dinesh D'Souza, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Dinesh D'Souza, 2,000 Mules. Uh, First of all, um, do you think, overall, big picture, do you think the election was stolen? Yes. I... This is, a, this is something I've come to sort of reluctantly kicking and screaming. It's not something I said right after the election. I had my suspicions, and I, of course, had observed the various anomalies. But, I, you know, I zipped my mouth. I was quiet about it because I felt, look, I can't prove my suspicions. Maybe we'll never know what happened. And it wasn't until I came across kind of a new way of looking at the election, almost like going to a cold case, 
and figuring out a way to get a kind of DNA of what happened that I realized that this, this question can be answered pretty definitively. You know what? It can be answered and it can also be asked. <laughs> and this is what gets me almost as mad as the election. This reluctance, this fear, and it's been instilled by the left that we can't even talk about it. We're talking about it at our own risk. And I am so surprised and quite frankly dismayed and and angry that they've been successful in muting so much of this conversation. Well, this is a topic that is censored more than any other in America, as you know. They, they do censor other topics on places like Facebook and YouTube. They'll censor COVID. They'll censor climate change. But no topic is censored more thoroughly and aggressively than the issue of election fraud. And, and in a sense, what they from the beginning tried to do is sustain a dogmatic premise that cannot withstand the slightest scrutiny. In fact, long before the movie, forget about 2,000 Mules, they say it's the most secure election ever. And so the question then arises, how do you know this? Have you actually done a comparison of this election, 2020, with all previous elections? And have you demonstrated that the volume of fraud was less this time than any previous time? Who's even attempted this? So here they, they take this mantra and they put it out there unsupported with not a shred of proof. And then they, they call everybody who questions it of a purveyor of the big lie and try to ostracize them, get them fired, shut them down, deplatform them and so on. And that's uh, that's not America. That shouldn't be America. That's certainly not American. Look, I saw the movie. I was blown away by it. So is my wife. Uh, she really was fired up by it. But look, you made it. Do us a favor. What is a mule? Tell us what a mule is and how they worked. So the term mule is lifted from, you know, drug trafficking or sex trafficking. The mule is the delivery man. And in this case, we're talking about ballot trafficking. So a mule is a paid operative who is hired, in this case, by a kind of a left-wing organization to deliver fraudulent and illegal ballots to mail-in drop boxes. And in our research, we found more than 2,000 of these mules, and that's where the movie was titled 2,000 Mules. Well... And, and the footage that you uncover is so gripping and so interesting. But I think somebody in your film acknowledges that in a weird way, this may have been the perfect crime, because once they're in that box and we see these uh, ballots get dropped in the box in the most sus suspicious manner and multiple ballots being dropped, you can't you can't track them down after that. Right. I mean, it's almost impossible to uh, to take it to the next step. Well, I mean, it is impossible to do it that way. It's almost like saying there's a perfect crime. We can never find the body. It's been permanently disposed of. But it doesn't mean you can't solve the crime. It just means you have to solve it a different way. And so, for example, you need to get some of the lower-level perpetrators and say, who paid, who paid you? Who put you up to it? So if you start with the mules and the mules begin to, well, I don't know if sing is the right word because mules don't really sing, but they start giving the scoop because they don't want to be prosecuted themselves. I mean, remember, Remember, this illegal ballot operation is thousands upon thousands of felonies that are being committed. And so if you can get the low-level guys to rat out the high-level guys, it's very easy to bust the operation that way. So that's one thing. We talked to some of them. Were you surprised? It was hard to find those folks, right? I mean, we talked to a couple of people. What was the biggest surprise? Once you, once you basically convinced yourself it was stolen and you convinced the viewers, what were you surprised about what was what was elusive what did you want but that you couldn't land or did you get everything you were looking for 
Well, no. I mean, let's remember in a movie you have, you know, you have the powers of sort of journalistic investigation, but you don't have the kind of power that law enforcement has. And so when you geotrack somebody's phone, if somebody were to geotrack my phone, they would have the cell phone ID of my phone. But A, they wouldn't know it's my phone. And second of all, they wouldn't know, let's say I gave it to my wife and she was the one who went to the Dropbox. That the phone is at the Dropbox is can be known for sure. But law enforcement has to kind of take the next step and what they call unmask the mules. The other thing is you've got all these left-wing organizations deeply embedded in the inner city. We call them in the movie the vote stash houses because that's where the mules get the ballots. The mules don't come up with their own fraudulent ballots. They make these kind of stops and they pick up, you know, backpacks and satchels full of ballots. And then you can see them in the movie. You know, they drive up to the drop box. They furtively look around. They've got gloves on to avoid dropping fingerprints on the ballots. And you can see them stuffing the boxes. So I would have loved to keep pursuing it, you know, working its way back. But obviously, I, I don't have the power to, like, raid these vote stash houses and take their computers and so on. That's, again, something that law enforcement has to do. So 2,000 mules. Uh, I saw it, I think, on opening night. I, you know, I kind of scrambled a little bit. I really wanted to see it. And I think I saw it as it was being streamed live. People can go to 2000mules.com. There are multiple ways to view this movie. What should people do who want to see it who haven't seen it yet? You know, it's still, Greg, in about uh, 300 theaters. Uh, This may be its last week of of doing that. So if you want to see it in the theater, you should do it right away. And um, and the details are on the website, 2000mules.com. Basically, you plug in your zip code. It'll tell you where it's playing near you. But the movie is also available for digital download, for streaming, for DVDs. Uh, and so I've put the movie on uncancelable platforms. Unlike my earlier movies, you're not going to find this on like Apple iTunes or Amazon Prime uh, because I don't want to put it anywhere where the left can take it down. You know, I'm looking at a picture of you with Ronald Reagan in the White House sometime in the 1980s. You were a policy analyst there, I believe. Dinesh, can you please just tell us a little bit about um, where you were born, your childhood and how you came to work in the White House? Well, it's, it really is a story of the American dream. I mean, I grew up in Bombay, India. My family is middle class. My dad was an engineer. I came to America on a Rotary uh, Youth Exchange scholarship to go uh, to high school for the 12th grade. I lived in Arizona. A high school counselor took me under his wing and shepherded me through the college application process. I went to Dartmouth, where I kind of caught the Reagan bug. Uh, And then after I graduated, I came to Washington, D.C., and I was a young policy analyst in my early 20s in the Reagan years. It was just a wonderful experience. And it's interesting looking back the way the world has changed and so many things that we took for granted in those years, the trust that we had in institutions. I mean, the simple idea, you know, for, for decades, I've walked into a voting booth, I've pulled a curtain, I've cast a ballot. I never dreamed that those ballots would somehow be in some ways fiddled with or someone wouldn't add up the numbers accurately. And so I had a tremendous de- degree of trust in our basic institutions. And it's been rather dismaying to see how that trust has eroded in recent years. Yeah, you know, the American dream. And at times, though, your life, I mean, I feel like Look, I don't know all the de- I feel like you were persecuted, quite frankly, persecuted for your views, possibly for somebody like you having views, uh, somebody like you being so um, anti-Obama. I, my sense is that you paid a real price for your views, and you may have been treated unfairly by that system. You care to share? Well, 
I, I think that's true. But I think looking back on it, what really surprised me is when, when my own case came up, I thought, well, you know what, I just, I kind of, you know, ticked off the most powerful guy in the world. And so the empire strikes back, you know, that's to be expected. But little did I know that my case was a little kind of a small window, a preview of what was going to happen to Papadopoulos and Carter Page and Michael Flynn and then Donald Trump. So it was the very opening salvo in a kind of mobilization of the powers of the state to go after political opponents. And that's another thing that would, you know, I wouldn't have dreamed of in the 1980s or 90s. I mean, I can't see Jimmy Carter or Reagan or Bush, you know, trying to somehow mobilize the FBI to put your opponents into jail. That that would be unthinkable to them. All right. So just to fill in the blanks real quick, I mean, you didn't do anything wrong. I think you were accused of giving a little bit too much extra money to a friend of yours who was running for public office, Wendy Long. They made a literal federal case out of it. You were ultimately pardoned by Donald Trump. Do you was that experience you just mentioned? It was a, a window into what would happen. Are you at the place where you can say, you know what, I'm glad all that happened. The learning experience was worth it. Or are we never going to get to that point? And I can understand oh, either no, case. No. I, I have long got to that point and beyond it. I mean, I'm actually, it would be an exaggeration to say I'm thrilled it happened to me. That's probably too much. It was traumatic at the time. And I was locked up for eight months overnight in a confinement center outside of San Diego. So I had the company of a very interesting assortment of thugs. Um, so I wouldn't want that to happen again. But when I look back and I look at the way in which that opened my eyes to, well, something of the gangsterization of American politics, it also made me little, a little bit less of a pointy-headed intellectual and a little bit more of somebody who realized that this is really a fight. It's not a debating society with two opposing debate teams. We're kind of in a fight for the country and a fight for the American dream. And so that political radicalization I'm very grateful for. Excellent, excellent. So, look, uh, <laughs> if you want to antagonize the left, they don't want you to see this movie, 2,000 Mules. You can, as Dinesh said, put in 2,000 Mules in your zip code. It'll pop right up. There's still in 300 theaters, but you can go to 2000mules.com and uh, and get a DVD or, or stream it. There are lots of ways to see it. Um, what's your next project? Well, I'm actually writing a book um, to um, of the same title to come out in the early fall. Usually I, I publish a book and a movie at the same time, but in this case, the movie outran the book. I wanted to get the movie out really quick. So I'm adding documentation and answers to critics and so on in the book, which will be a kind of fuller exposition of the same idea, but this time supported with a lot of evidence that could not be included in the movie. And by the way, this is just one component of it. I mean, you know, you don't, the the, the movie, you looked at the mules, and appropriately so, but there are other components to this election, like the unconstitutionality of the uh, votes in Pennsylvania, some of the other issues. There are multiple, multiple issues, and this is a big one. But, um, yeah, as they try to poke holes in your film, which they have not succeeded, there are a lot of other issues that are being pursued. What do you think the most the one with the greatest um, efficacy is? What What is the most powerful argument, apart from the beautiful one you laid out, uh, that raises doubts about the 2020 election? Well, I think the you have to look at the mules as part of a much bigger operation where the left does a lot to enable this kind of a heist. 
So they've got people, for example, they've got one whole legal team that fights, for example, to not clean up the voter rolls. Then they, then they have a whole other legal team that fights to prevent signature matching. In other words, don't carefully match the signatures uh, on the ballot. It's kind of like telling a teller not to watch too carefully to see if the checks match. Um, and then you have a whole other team that fights to, you know, Zuckerberg. He fights to, he says, I'll pay for the drop boxes and I have all this money to give you. But if you don't install the drop boxes, you're not going to get any money. Uh, and and if, you say, if you take my money and you don't put the drop boxes, you're going to have to give my money back. So I'm just amazed at the way in which the left, uh, through its foundations, its donors, its legal teams, they go to great lengths to sort of set up the heist. And then, of course, the mules are the actual on-the-ground operation. But they are the only, the only the final sort of stage of something that is far more elaborately orchestrated, because none of this can occur just spontaneously. If, if Zuckerberg didn't pay for the drop boxes, the mules would have no place to go to. Well, in my book, Dinesh D'Souza, you are a hero, because there are other things you could have done that, and, and, and choices and places you could have gone and jobs you could have held. That would have been easier, possibly more lucrative. I don't know. But you, you, you opted for the hard way, and I think the uh, we've all benefited enormously. Hey, can you tell me about this real quick? What was Ronald Reagan like? I got this. I just tweeted this picture of you guys together. Did you get to know him at all? What was he like? I got to um, – I didn't get to interact with him, <clears throat> but I got to observe him. So I was like the – you know, the fly on the wall, so to speak. And what I found fascinating about him is that sometimes on trivial issues, he didn't really pay attention. At one point, I noticed his aides were like animatedly arguing with each other. And Reagan listened for a little while. And then he tuned him out and he just reached over for this giant jar of jelly beans <laughs> that he kind of swerves over to him and he starts eating them, you know. And so I think what that represented for me was not that Reagan was negligent or anything, but rather that he kind of kept his eye on the big picture and he didn't let himself get drawn into little side alleys. And I think that gave him a sort of great sense of these are the four ways in which I can change the world. I'm not going to try to change the world in 52 ways. I'll change it in two or three important ways. Wow. Well, we were lucky to have Ronald Reagan. And of course, we're lucky to have you, Dinesh D'Souza. Uh, Check out 2000 Mules. Go to 2000mules.com. It is an important movie. And by the way, it's entertaining. It's visually very interesting, and uh, it's so important. So, Dinesh D'Souza, thank you so much, sir. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you. You Bye-bye. You bet. Take care now. How about that, Dinesh D'Souza? I liked him a lot. Good guy. Uh, I think that's the first. No, I interviewed him once on Newsmax, and uh, so glad he was with us on the radio. Oh, I went a little bit long. I'll be right back. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Again, uh, thank you to Dinesh D'Souza. What a guy. What a guy. All right. I have you. Ooh, Marvin is on the phone. He uh, wants to say something about UFOs. What's up? Yes, this is Marvin, New York City. Uh, what's your take on UFOs? I spoke to Mr. Giuliani, and uh, he said he, nobody ever told him about anything. So he says, I don't know, but keep doing the research. 
I myself had a house in Plainview, Long Island, lived there for 40 years. I'm a ufologist. I've been studying this for many years. I'm a a Korean war vet. And uh, I saw three UFOs, cigar-shaped ships, across the street from my house, uh, doing a little dance of some sort for about five minutes. And I tried to video it. I couldn't get to my camera, and they were gone. Yeah. And so I brought to my clubs, and I told them about this, and uh, uh, we we did it. We went into deep research. So my question to you is, what do, what's your take? What do I think? Well, number one, UFOs, unidentified flying objects. There are plenty of them every day. They're unidentified. They're flying, and they are objects. And uh, sometimes they do weird things, like travel really, really fast, and. Uh, uh, I do not believe that these are extraterrestrial. I do not believe they came from another planet. They were manufactured. They are a natural phenomena or artificial, something or other. But they're from and of the Earth, not from – we're not being visited by the proverbial little green men. That's how I feel. Uh, Buzz Aldrin once said, well, number one, it's just too far away. It's just too far away. The other stars, they're too far away. I think we're probably the most advanced beings in the universe, all right? We are, America. Uh, can you believe that? The rest of the universe is in trouble. Thank you, Marvin. Uh, Bill in Lafayette, New Jersey, yes. Bill in Lafayette, New Jersey, no. Pete in Piscataway, New Jersey, yes. Hello, Greg. I disagree with all the talk show hosts, the Republican talk show hosts and the Republican um, people in government about the shooting in Texas. There's two things. The first thing is, I'd like to say, if the age was 21, we would have 31 people still living today that weren't, I mean, living today that are dead. Uh, That's the first thing. You know, they'd be living right now. The second thing is, the, I, I don't. I think the cops did all they could do. And what I, makes you say you that, know, Pete? What, ma- what, what makes you say the cops did all they can do? I mean, well, the, cop, the cop, the cop, Mr. McGraw said, the the head of the DPS said, this is unacceptable, and we made a mistake. So, what do you mean they did all they could do? Even the cops are admitting that they made horrible mistakes. So, what do you mean? Two, two policemen got grazed, right? And we don't know, I don't know the full timeline. You know, I mean, when did the shooting stop? Was it intermittent? I don't know. Well, we're hearing all different kinds of stories. And how about a hostage negotiator? You know, we, we don't know if... if yeah, Pete, I, uh, I think you're, uh, I, th- I think you're, uh, I think you're wrong. <laughs> what about a hostage negotiator? All right. I mean, that's the problem. They were waiting for all this fancy deluxe stuff from the next town over, the next county over. And I also disagree with you about the 18, uh, you're, you're going to move it to 21. You can sign up and join the military at 18. You can vote at 18. You can buy a weapon at 18. But, Pete, thanks for calling. One more. Tony is in Rockland County. Yeah. How are you, Greg? I just want to say one thing quick. Dinesh D'Souza is truly a national treasure. That's number one. Then I want to answer this previous caller that he doesn't know a thing about firearms, obviously, with what he said. How many people would be denied who are under the age of 21? And I was among that group who had a firearm before I was before I was 21. Should we have been denied our constitutional rights or the enjoyment we had because of two crazy people that committed mass shootings? Now, uh, the statistic, statistic I have right here says that rifles and weapons described as assault weapons 
less than 3% uh, of the of the firearms murders were committed with rifles or what they call assault weapons, which are not assault weapons. It stands for Armalite rifle. It's the manufacturer's name. AR is Armalite rifle. Not It's not an assault rifle. I didn't know that. Oh, true, true. Yeah. It's absolutely true. So anyway, and then Joe Biden last night, I could have flipped out. He once again dis- displayed his ignorance when he talks about his doctor told him that a nine millimeter round will blow someone's lung out of their chest. The man is. Oh, I know. That was I, pathetic. I rock. It was pathetic. I, it was so cringe. I mean, come on. He really, every time, he should not be speaking in public, period. He just, maybe that's why he's writing op-eds now. He can't make sense. He loses himself. He makes mistakes. He's uh, he's a mess, and we can all see it. And the Democrats can't deny it anymore, and the mainstream media can't cover for him anymore. I do think he's out of there after the midterms. There's just no way. At, at the very least, he's going to have to say he's not running for re-election. Anyway, Tony... Uh, think we're done with the show. Yeah, we got to go. I appreciate it, Tony. Mike and Gil, call back tomorrow. Thank you very much. And same to you, Rachel, Wendy, uh, Alice. Oh, sorry about all these. Anyway, I should have uh, I should have managed you guys better. Sorry about that. I have to leave, but it was fun. And Dinesh D'Souza, we thank you again. I'll see you tonight on the Newsmax show. That's at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, that's four on the West Coast. And uh, many thanks, people, to be continued.